It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornshee. You're listening to Engage in Truth, and we are so happy to have you with us today. This is Steve Ford, your co-host, along with Pastor John Bornsheen, Senior Pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Well, last episode, we began a series with our guest Bob McCord on what Pastor John referred to as the fingerprints of God in Holy Scripture. The Bible is a contiguous story consisting of creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. Some have even said that the gospel can be found in every book of the Bible. So let's get started today as we continue our examination of the fingerprints of God. Pastor John? Oh, thank you, Dr. Ford. Well, we did have a lot of fun last week because this is so perfectly orchestrated by God. You would think that we'd sit in a studio at some point and say, let's do these shows before this show, and it all is going to blend together perfectly, but that's all the Holy Spirit. Amen. So he makes sure that we are on top of this. And so what What a perfect structural content to to preface what we're about to do as we go through the history of the Bible, we have a number of shows we put together on how the Bible was compiled. How do we have this amazing text that's been handed down, written almost 2,000 years it took to put this together by way of over 40-plus authors? We're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. So before we do, we have a wonderful guest in the studio who's helping us to get into the right paradigm, the right frame of mind to explore the depths of God's holy word to just new levels that really bring it to life. I, I mean, ways that we just perhaps hadn't considered before. Even before the show, we were talking about breaking the space-time continuum and going into all sorts of amazing things that are right there revealed in God's holy word. Physics is revealed. Science to levels that we had never seen before until even recently. I mean, you read Revelation and we see the ability for something to be televised or sent out across the world. And I remember when we started seeing television vision breakout and people thinking, oh, that's got to be that revealed. And now we have these broadcast studios in our pockets <laughs> by way of our, our new smartphone, if we dare call it a smartphone. But this technology has been enabling us throughout all these years now to say, look at how that fulfills. Look, look what the Bible revealed to us that we hadn't caught up to yet. And it's been doing that over and over again. So sometimes we just don't find ourselves asking the right questions. So today we're going to go to new depths, hopefully asking some more of the right questions. And before we get into it, I just want to shout praises to God here for a moment because I was looking at some of the statistics from last week and it's always fun to be able to see where the audience is tuning in from. So Dr. Ford, you know we've received sometimes we get emails, we right. get calls and people, you know, either affirming what we talked about on the radio or me maybe even challenging us a bit, which is always wonderful to hear from the audience and if so those of you listening right now, please know this is a two-way conversation. You can send in your comments to us and reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com and there you'll see our email address and we hear from a number of you please continue to do that but i am excited to be able to tell you that we had an increased audience in germany malta and russia wow. as well as across the whole united states i mean it seemed like we had an increase of those who are listening in california right now as well as in missouri michigan arizona and even oregon so we come in the west states pretty good we got to move a little further east <laughs> uh, but we have quite an audience that have been tuning in and, and what we titled last week's program was the scroll speaks unraveling 
biblical codes. It really is about the fingerprints of God all throughout his work. And we started last week talking about Chuck Missler's work, Cosmic Codes. Well, I believe we're actually going to take it to a new depth here today. So to help us really dig into this deeper, we have a very special guest in the studio again. And this time he has even a clearer microphone than last week. So we appreciate your patience as uh, you were tuning in last week. But Bob McCord is back. And I want to call him Professor McCord uh, (laughs) because that's what he is to me. He's a physicist. He has an incredible brain. I know that's not his trade, but he is wired by God to do this, to take us into God's holy word. And so we have had him share some of the teachings of Hebrew, original language, going to Greek and Hebrew and looking at some of the texts of God's word and teach classes at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. So we got men all around and they got to hear this firsthand. I got so excited. I'm like, we have to have him on the radio. So I am so excited that you're back with us for a second week. And we know there's a third week coming because there's no way we're getting through this all today. But Bob, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for having me. I had so much fun last time. I'm very excited to be here today. Well, let's get right into it without further delay, Bob, because I know our our listeners are probably chomping at the bit from what you shared with us last week, because last week we started talking about these fingerprints of God throughout his scriptures, and you gave us some backdrop of that, even just blowing our minds with, I know we hear some of these things, but we talk about the Bible being a third prophecy, we we talk about the, the fact there are 1,236 instructions in the New Testament, we have all of the instructions, of course, of the Old Testament by way of even a third of this book being prophecy and revealing future events that were both near and far. We went through some of those great details, but then you took the names of the men that were given to us, the genealogy they're given to us in Genesis. And of course, we see that in Jesus's own genealogy as well. But from Adam all the way to Noah and each of their names meant the full plan of God unveiled yes. just by the yep. the names that are given to us there, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. And then you took us into some of the structure of the Bible and gave us some even more about how we see all the patterns, the numerical patterns throughout Scripture. And as you were talking about that last week, I even remembered hearing from Chuck when he did an assessment of how many times the number seven appeared in the book of Revelation. It was well over a hundred So we, again, see these patterns throughout Scripture that are the fingerprints of God. We know that there are 63,779 cross-references in the Bible, meaning just about every single verse is also used elsewhere, and it holds itself accountable in doing that when it spans over 1,500-plus years, which is remarkable. But then you really blew my mind when you started talking about how every single word had to begin and end in a certain structure. So you would have had to have written into the text a mathematical equation that had to be perfect with every single word across all types of languages. <laughs> Again, as you're listening to this program right now, I'm probably piquing your interest. If you didn't hear last week's program, go back and listen to that at Calvary Fountain. But then as we ended the program, you started talking a little bit more about even extra biblical sources that enhance how we read the Bible. But we must do so carefully because they are extra biblical. They're not the infallible word of God written by men, maybe very ancient, giving us a little more depth about the history, the narrative about the patriarchs and so forth, but not inspired controlled, if you will, by the Holy Spirit to navigate, to manage all of that. So we got to be very careful. Uh, so with that, as we were talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls, take us then into the next layer of this. 
what things have you discovered in the scrolls that have ultimately enhanced your understanding of God's word? So there, there's really so many amazing things in the ancient scrolls. Um, if you just start out with Gad the seer, Gad was a contemporary of Nathan. Um, he was there at the same time David was, right? Um, and he actually outlines in his book an amazing sequence of events, uh, including the pre-tribulation rapture, the seven-year tribulation, battle of Armageddon, second coming of the Messiah, and set up of the millennial kingdom. He also, um, you know, he talks a little bit about why Ruth is a descendant of David, or, or, or uh, actually his great-grandmother. And there's a really interesting conversation with David and a Moabite uh, servant of his that wants to convert to Judaism, and David tells him no, and the Moabite says, well, what about Ruth? <laughs> you know, she, she's your great-grandmother. Why can't I be uh, a convert? And there's, they actually go before God, and they talk to him, and they explain why, and it's a beautiful picture of how one, the Gentiles are grafted in, but two, how a wife is grafted in to her husband's family. Mm. So that's just absolutely spectacular. Um, Enoch, you know, helps clarify some thinking about uh, Genesis 6 and Jude, who the, mm. the sons of God were and, and daughters of men. Uh, Jasher, there's, there's so much good stuff in Jasher. It gives a lot of context around, um, around uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And one really interesting story there is, have you ever wondered why lot's wife looked back so hmm. it's it's the bible doesn't tell us and so we don't have to know looking back we know is bad however i kind of want to know and jasher tells us and the bible hints to it um what it says is the angels woke up early in the morning they got lot up and they said grab your wife grab your two daughters that are here implying that there are daughters that aren't there and so what happens, what Jasher tells us is as Lot is leaving and his wife turns around because there's two other daughters that have husbands that were not in the group that was leaving. Mm. And this is a mother's love for her children. And to me, that was a gut check because I can look at Lot's wife and say, boy, she really desired to be in this sinful city. But if it's love for your children, can you relate to that? So what that tells us is like the time that we have with our family and with the, the, our friends, it's immediate. We have to talk to them today because there will be a time when it's too late. Anyways, that's mm -hmm. an interesting story in Jasher. Uh, Testament of Patriarchs we talked about last week, um, but some of the most fascinating things that I've learned um, were about the sect of Judaism that many call the Essenes and all their Christian beliefs. Um, Dr. Ken Johnson has a lot of books about the Essenes, and, and uh, he wrote some things that they believed, which I think will be interesting to the listeners. One of them is that they knew the Messiah was to be God incarnate. They knew one God exists as Father, the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit. That the Messiah would be born a virgin. Um, that he would come and die to reconcile us to the Father. Um, he would create a group of people called the redeemed. Uh, the Messiah would actually be put to death on Passover of AD 32. They knew the exact day and the year. Um, they had a very accurate calendar. Uh, the Messiah would be killed by the Levitical priesthood. Uh, that would actually be marked by the tearing of the veil. Mm. Uh, the temple would be destroyed around 40 years. They didn't know the exact date, but they thought about 40 years after the Messiah died. Um, the age of grace would start around AD 75. The new age and the new covenant would, be, uh, would have a new set of holy books. The Messiah would return at the end of the age of grace and begin an age of the kingdom or a kingdom age as we call it. Um, and that kingdom age would last about a thousand years and start around 2075, according to their calendar. Hmm. So the interesting thing about that is there were a lot of people when Jesus walked around, 
often he was rejected, but often there was a big group of people that accepted him. And could it be that those people actually uh, were seeing prophecy fulfilled before their eyes because they had some of these ancient books? Um, the Essenes actually called themselves the ones that would usher in the Messiah by one of their um, followers being the one that was crying in the wilderness. And uh, we think that was John the Baptist. Wow. Wow. You know, and, and I'm, I'm just looking at this here. I mean, as you uh, summarize such an amazing archive that has obviously taken years to compile this, not only your own study, Dr. Ken Johnson, amongst many others, and I know that there's a number of books on this. So as you're piquing the interest of those who are listening, they're probably thinking, okay, wait a minute. So you just talked about that they thought that the end of the world then as we know it before the millennial kingdom of Jesus would come about around 2075. And of course, uh, their calendar is incredibly accurate, as we have already notated here, that they had collected many of the written works. They had preserved these scrolls, even willing to die to ensure their preservation. And we continue on, of course, right about the time when Israel would become a nation, then this archive was discovered, perfectly timed by God. Now, we look at that timing, and let me just interject this real quick, Bob, because we talked about this on Engage in Truth before of when we've looked at what the calendar sequence is scripturally. Here we're talking about some extra biblical texts that might even help give some clarity to some of these discussions as you talk about calendar. I, I remember as I was going through this for one of the projects I did, you know, the pre-flood, this is what I had down, was about 1,657 years from whatever the first day was when Adam began to sin. And that was always the debate of how long was he in the garden right. before sin entered the, his flesh? And then the, did the count begin there? Right. And we've talked about this because it's like, well, oh, yeah. some of the extra biblical sources like Jasher or Jubilees help paint, give some of the details that were also collected by the, the Essenes. Uh, and then you take from, say, uh, to, to, you know, this time frame of pre-Christ to Christ's birth, the early years, you've got about 2,237 years. And again, this is what the Bible gives us. And then the ministry of Christ and post-resurrection, let's take it up in our Roman calendar here, a Gregorian calendar of 2,024 years. You add all that up, you've got 5,918 years. However, we also know there's a five-plus date variance, and I know you'll get into some of that in just a moment. So this is why when we talk about calendars, it is so vital that we say, okay, let's look at, here's what the Bible gives us, but sometimes these extra biblical texts help give some clarity on some of those issues. So I know you'll touch base on that in just a moment because we can talk about the 360 calendar versus 365. We've got a 364 calendar versus 365. We've got some variances here that make this very hard to navigate, hence why we keep coming back to Matthew 24. No one will know the day or the hour. God has reserved that for himself. But uh, continue on. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just uh, it, it really is fascinating when we look at the age of the kingdoms of men in the sequence there. Absolutely. And, and some of the things you pointed out, you know, actually in their calendar, they called the first age, the first 2000 years was the age of confusion. Mm. The second 2000 years starting from Abraham to about 75 AD was called the age of Torah. And then we call it the age of grace. They all actually also called it the age of grace um, that lasts, that is expected to last to 2075. Um, and then the kingdom age would be about a thousand years uh, according to them. Of course, yeah. So, so yeah. it's pretty interesting because when we look at uh you know, Jesus dying, and we, we typically say, well, the age of grace started either at Pentecost or when he died or when he resurrected, somewhere around that time. 
Um, but there's other things that had to happen. One of them was the destruction of the temple about mm-hmm. 40 years later. And then there was another temple that was a very prominent temple in Egypt that had to be destroyed a few years after. And then their calendar changed. And so we see these ages bleeding into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not a real defined start and end, although the calendar does switch. Hmm. Hmm. So the current year, tell us that, what is the current year right now is they have it on their calendar? <laughs> on their calendar is, is uh, 5948, so about 51, 52 years to go, according to their calendar. Yeah. And so the interesting thing about that, again, is Jesus' death, again, the, the biggest event of history was 43 years before that age changed. So right. is that a pattern for how things could go in this age? Right. Um, and the current Jewish calendar, I know that there's discrepancies between these, and we probably could spend a whole broadcast on that. We could. Of yeah. why there are those discrepancies there. But, but what's the current Jewish calendar year? The current Jewish calendar year is 5784. Um, and there's, uh, there is some discrepancies. Uh, there, there are people um, between the rabbinic traditions and the academic uh, traditions or, or, or dating. There's about 165-year difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you were to align those dates, you actually get pretty darn close to <laughs> where we are on the Essene calendar. Right. Well, that's, that's a remarkable, I mean, again, we probably need to expand on these in future broadcasts because I think that what all we're doing is probably piquing some interest. So again, as you're listening now to engage in truth, and you're thinking, wow, I had no idea all this detail was captured there in the Dead Sea Scrolls and in giving us really this accurate outline. I mean, it can be debatable, but yet when we compare it with scripture and we see how close these align, I would love for you to reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. If you'd like more information, of course, Professor McCord would be happy to send you (laughs) notes and help get you set on the right course and give you some other guidance to this and other tools that you can use to explore it even deeper. But uh, last week, uh, Dr. Ford, or, uh, Dr. Ford, and, and I want to say even Dr. McCord, uh, and, and, and a whole surrounding of a company of witnesses here. Uh, I, you know, last week we were talking a great deal about original language. And as you gave us those names of those individuals and what their names meant, how powerful that is at what original language does for us is, as we know, there are seven words, at least in the Greek, for love. And sometimes English just doesn't quite capture it. While we know that it's God's infallible word and English is still powerful, we read it in our language and we understand. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. But yet then we have the joy of pulling open the Strong's Concordance, reading even deeper and going, wow, there's even more here that I didn't quite see initially. But for uh, Bob, you know, as you're studying original language and, and clearly you're passionate on this, why do we study the depths of the Bible like the original languages? What, is it, what does it do even for your personal study? Sure, there, there's so many things that it opens up to you. One of them is really the nuanced meaning of words, right? And so a perfect example um, is ruach, which means spirit. Um, and ruach in Genesis 1-2 is translated as spirit. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters, but it can also mean wind or breath. Um, and that adds layers to that interpretation. And Jesus actually expounds on that when he talks uh, in John 3, 8 about the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it's coming from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. Again, we're comparing wind and spirit. He's using a play on words there. Um, there's also a Hebrew idioms that are really, uh, it's hard to understand uh, particular verses of the Bible without understanding what those idioms are. Um, so one of them, for example, is the, the thief in the night. The thief in the night uh, analogy scares a lot of people, and that's in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.2. 
Um, and that says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So this is actually taken from Leviticus 6, 8 um, through 13. And that talks about the priest having to wear linen clothes and keep the fire burning all night long. And the thief could either be the high priest or he could be the, the captain of the guard. And what would happen is the priest is supposed to be doing his work, tending the fire. And if he falls asleep and the captain of the guard shows up, this is the thief that shows up unexpected. He would actually take coals from that fire and he would place them under the linen clothes and set that priest on fire. And he would run home burned and ashamed and naked. And and this is actually just a, a lesson for us to keep our flame burning for Christ. And this is actually related um, to the ten virgins, um, the ten virgins. If if you think about, they have lamps, but the the word there is actually lampas, which is different than the clay lamps that we think of that we pour oil into. They're actually torches. It's the same word that's used in Genesis to talk about the the comet that comes down or the asteroid that comes down that burns as a comet or burns as a torch in in the night. So you can see this thing burning. How do you add oil to this, actually? What they would do is they would take their garments or some garments and they would dip them in oil and they would put them on the stick. And this thing was burning bright. So it's like burning in the temple. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing. And if you imagine for a second, why was there a burning bush? The bush that burned but did not consume itself, right? And so when you have a torch, you have a stick you put your garments around it, you dip it in oil, and it burns, but it doesn't consume itself. This is the light that we're supposed to be sharing. This is the testimony that we're supposed to be sharing with people. Mm. So that's really interesting. And so what that says is, you know, don't let your, your light go out. We need to nourish that fire every night. Wow. And the symbolism in all of that is hard to ignore as well. I, I mean, you know, the, the oil for your lamp, the article of clothing, that, that wraps around that. I mean, there, you could see some of the symbolism just coming to life in, in how we even carry the light of truth into this lost world, that you right. are the light, uh, as the Lord has declared for us to be as like a city on a hill. I mean, there's so much powerful analogy there. Sorry to interrupt. Continue on. No, no not at all. That was good talk. Uh, so, so let me give you another example, and this is one of my favorite verses. Um, you probably remember Genesis 2016, where Abimelech takes uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, because Abraham says to her, this is the love that you're going to show to me, that everywhere you go, you're going to say that I'm your brother. And so Abimelech takes Sarah out of innocence. Um, and what he says to Abraham when God convinces him in a dream to give Sarah back is he says, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. So the number there is a thousand pieces of silver, which is very interesting. The actual word for that, if you look into it, is aleph. Um, and those that study Hebrew know there's a lot of significance to the, the letter aleph. And it's spelled aleph, lam, and pei. And again, it, it is a picture of the Godhead. It's a picture of Jesus. He said, I am the alpha and the omega, which is the aleph and the tav in Hebrew. So he is the aleph. And basically what we're saying here is that Sarah was vindicated or redeemed with a thousand pieces of silver, but the Aleph is the redemption price, a picture of Jesus being our redemption price. Mm. He is the Aleph. Abraham was also married to Sarah. He was also her brother. We are married to Jesus. He is also our brother. So if you didn't understand the deep meaning of the Aleph and its association with Jesus and the Godhead, this would just be 
a, a verse that you would just gloss over and not not understand the significance. So this is also the love that we can show to Jesus, that mm-hmm. everywhere we go, we tell people that he is our brother, but not neglect the fact that he is our husband, he is our God, and he is our king. Wow. Oh, I love that. Of course, we could talk all day about the silver even then yeah. used in that transaction price. Of course, right. as Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. What, what right. a fa- just, I, I hope as our listener now is just fascinated to explore the depths of the original language, to see the meanings there. Again, this is not to undermine the value of the translations that we have. I certainly, we've done a study here on, well, there are certain translations that might be more of a concern than others where we have really lost some of the original words or given it a thought for thought instead of a word for word. So we've spent some time talking about that. But I do encourage that if you're able to go deeper, study the original language, explore and see some of the the meanings behind some of the parables and some of the phraseology that's used scripturally, it will only open your eyes even more. And, and I think the right response, correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, on this, is awe. Absolutely. Right? Just yes. reverential awe, like, wow, that's right. of yes. course this is the fingerprints of God. Yes. Man did not make this. This is God's holy, infallible word. What a gift to us. And it needs to be valued and treasured more than just holding our coffee table down. Yes. Right? It needs, right. This is the source of life. This is our handbook for navigating life. And so I hope that as you've listened to this program and you're going to tune in next week to get our conclusion of this study. And this will, again, set up our next study of the history of the Bible. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. To listen to this broadcast again, go to calvaryfountain.com. And there you can find this broadcast and others, even the ones in this series, and share them with your friends and family alike. Again, services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.